Welcome to The Art of Medicine. I'm Dr. Andrew Wilner, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Deborah Blaine. Welcome. Thank you. Well, Dr. Blaine, you're on this show because I heard a podcast that you did with my friend John Jerica about your first novel. And as a writer myself, that interested me uh, quite a bit. So I have lots of questions. You're a practicing physician and now a novel. So I want to ask, uh, why did you write it, of course, and what it's about? It's called Code Blue. It's available on uh, Amazon and probably lots of other places. But before we get started, I want to know, is there anything in your background going way back when that if, if I knew about it, I could have said, yes, she's the one who might write a novel well i was always uh, first of all thank you so much for having me and um i love john jerica and um so I, and i just appreciate being here um and i'm just going to say as a little aside that i love talking about my book but right now with the whole covid19 it feels markedly insignificant but that having been said <laughs> um so um I was I was a liberal arts major. I've always been more um, interested in the part of life that you can't pin down, that you can't measure. And um, but when I was growing up, I had three choices: I could be a doctor, lawyer, engineer. Those are the only three things that were acceptable in my household. So um, being the the forest ranger that I wanted to to be was kind of mixed. But I, I majored in the humanities, and I was in a honors humanities program at the University of Texas. Um, and I did some writing then, but I didn't. I never really thought that I was going to write a book. I think. Uh, well, first of all, let me say that today is April first, twenty twenty. So we're right in the middle of this uh, COVID nineteen, and I agree with you. Uh, somehow, uh, all of our priorities are kind of mixed up. But it is important that uh, humanities don't go away in particular. Mm -hmm. uh, so you had an interest in literature way back when. And so it's not a surprise that uh, later in life, uh, these things don't go away. But there must have been a trigger. You know, a novel's a big job. So what was the trigger? So I think the place that I was working, I was working full time in a corporate structured urgent care. And, um, you know, everything that I enjoyed about medicine was all turned upside down. So there was so much, um, so much emphasis on getting patients through really fast, um, doing customer satisfaction. Was, I felt like, you know, we're, we're now retail workers, we're uh, customer service agents. And, and it just, you know, everything was about how the patients felt about what we did for them, right down to the coffee creamer selection in the waiting room. And then we could get downgraded for that. There was so much additional pressure that was just not necessary. It wasn't about medicine. I just wanted to take care of people. And it was very frustrating. And I was, um, you know, it was really, it was giving me stomach aches and um, and then instead of instead of having all that sort of transmuted into to my body like that, what I did was I just um, I started to write things down. I said I'm going to write about this, and the more things happened, 
the more I just said, oh, I'm going to put that in the book. And so I would just jot it on a piece of paper. And the, the more outrageous it was, the better fodder it was for my book. And, and I even had my colleagues telling me, hey, you wouldn't believe what happens to you today. I'm, I want you to put this in your book. So that, be, that became like an outlet. It was almost like I was looking for those crazy moments. I mean, I didn't want them, but when they came about, there was like a positive spin on it so that I would, you know, I would have something to do with it that was constructive. But I also, um, I realized that I wanted to make it fiction for a number of reasons. One was liability, of course, but the other was to me, fiction has always just been so much more interesting. Um, you know, facts are necessary. Uh, and we live our life by them, but fiction is is play for the mind and for the soul. And and so I well, it, it certainly fun. gives you a lot more freedom to uh, create your characters the way you'd like to. But I would agree that uh, there's no such thing as a fictional novel, right? It's all it all has elements in uh, in truth and uh, experience and I remember when I wanted to write my first novel uh, years ago it was like well I, I haven't had any experiences you know what do I what do I write about but as as life uh, continues uh, you accumulate experiences and some of them uh, deserve to be uh, put on uh, paper I want to mention Another novel that yours reminded me of called uh, The Hospitalist, which is uh, by Michael Weisberg. It came out a couple years ago, and Michael's a friend of mine, and he uh, is a gastroenterologist. And he uh, was just, I think, um, dismayed and awed by this hospitalist movement where patients would you know, we're used to it now, but in the old days, you went to the hospital, you saw your doctor, and right. now you go to the hospital and you see some random doctor, and mm -hmm. the, the stories of uh, problems, I've had one in my own family that have caused by lack of continuity, every doctor has them, and so his novel, it's a fiction novel, uh, which is a fun read, uh, I think was really provoked by that, where he talks about several doctors who, you know, practiced in the old way when this new hospitalist thing came and how it's, it seems so crazy, you know, mm -hmm. from a doctor-patient point of view. And of course, now it's just normal and it does have its benefits, of course. I, I don't, we don't have to have a discussion of that, but I would encourage people to read the the hospitalist also, if you're interested in how corporate America and how modernization uh, affects physicians. And your novel, Code Blue, so, so tell, tell me what it's about. So Code, so apparently there, there are a few Code Blues out there. So mine is Code Blue at the other end of the stethoscope. I just found a line here. One Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> um, and it's, um, it is a, it's about, it's about this uh, woman physician and her, it follows her through her days as she tries to practice or does the best she can to practice medicine. And it, by in so doing it, it illustrates all the problem, not all, but many of the problems that we face, the challenges that we have. But it's also a medical thriller and it's about uh, Russian oligarchs who have hacked into our electronic medical records and they've um, stolen information that they use to extort money and then kill patients, lots and lots of money. 
and she ultimately ends up becoming a target in this scheme. And um, I don't know how much of it I should give away. But As so if life wasn't hard enough, right? Right. The, uh, right. I will say that your book, if you gave it to a medical student, uh, would definitely not be a, a big sales piece for going into urgent care. Um, <laughs> I think urgent care physicians will identify it. In fact, you should have John Jerica read it because oh, he, uh, he, uh, he works in uh, urgent care. But uh, it really brought out the, the limitations that physicians face uh, in that uh, scenario and the demands of patients. <laughs> it's like, gee, this isn't fun. Um, so I, <laughs> I think people should take that <coughs> excuse me, into account. But yes, the other side of your novel is a thriller. Uh, in the, uh, there's also one by Robin Cook. I'm sure you're familiar with uh, Robin Cook. In I fact, I think he wrote things. one called Coma. He's sort of my, more my generation than yours. And, uh, but he wrote a thriller back when the iPhone first came out about um, getting all of your, med it was like a Google, get Dr. Google. You'd get all of your medical input. Uh, mm -hmm. You'd put in your question. It would tell you what to do, how to adjust your doses, you know, an AI artificial intelligence, but behind the scenes, the AI was looking at who, who is a big consumer of health resources and looking for ways to bump them off. So uh, there was some uh, similarity there where the, uh, you know, sick patients, uh, people don't realize it, you know, that the most cost effective care, right, for patients is to get rid of them. Um, and right. uh, that's why I've always thought personally that, you know, when people started talking about cost-effective medicine, it's like, that's nonsense. It's like medicine is not cost-effective. You know, who's worth saving? You know, if you think about it, who contributes enough to society to really warrant spending all that money on them? Exactly. Not too many people. So exactly the whole concept, I mean, obviously waste should be eliminated. But the concept of cost effectiveness, which is, uh, if you Googled it, there's probably millions of hits, is based on a uh, false premise. Well, that's exactly what we're having to deal with right now. And certainly what Italy is having to deal with is if you're over 60, don't come to the hospital. Just die at home. You're not going to get treated because they don't have the, the, um, the resources. Is that in Italy? That's happening in Italy right now, that if you're over 60, don't go to the hospital. Um, and I know people, you know, who know, who've told me about relatives who've died at home at 62 because wow. they were told don't bother to show up. And it's, it's one of the things that may be facing America. You know, we're trying, trying not, I live in New York. So, um, governor Cuomo is, is, has been asked that question. What is the, what are the parameters going to be? And he's still saying, oh, we're not even going to talk about that, but we may come to that, you know, who gets, who lives, who shall live and who shall die. But on, on the other hand, um, medicine has become this business that, you know, I even have like a slide I use for my coaching. I have a coaching practice also that I use with my, my clients and it's, you know, a patient cured is a customer lost. So um, really, you know, the, the thing is, is that we need people to keep coming, not we, the corporations need people to keep coming in and spending money, but they don't want the really sick patients, as you said, to be coming in and spending money. They want the really easy things. So they encourage 
you know, come in if you have the sniffles or come in if you scrape your, your thing. I mean, when you were young, I mean, you're not that much older than me. What, did you go to the doctor with a cold? Nobody did. And what's happening now with COVID-19 is we're going back to that, which is if you have a cold, stay home. And the truth right. is that's what some, that particular bit of advice is something that should have been going on for a long time and we wouldn't have had this glut. But what's happened is it's become a way for big business to make money. And these are not people that are doctors who are interested in health. They're interested in make, this is, oh, this is a great avenue to get onto the, the Fortune 500. So, you know, if we get all these people who are just like a little bit uncomfortable and we can sell them lots of drugs and we can get them to come in and come out. And if they're happy with us and they write these great recommendations, we can make lots and lots of money. But that's not really medicine anymore. You know, these are not the people who need us and we're not free to take care of them in the best way we know how, because if they don't like our chosen treatment, we get downgraded, the survey's bad, we get disciplined, um, they write us up on social media and then come back two weeks later with another problem, even though they just trashed us and now we have to like defend ourselves. So it's it's really medicine's been turned upside down and, and I think that that, not that this is about COVID-19, but that backdrop of what's been happening in medicine and corporate medicine, now when you superimpose a crisis, you don't have this, the same, we have, a, we have a lot of awesome, amazing volunteers who are going out there on the front lines. But I feel like, you know, I, I hear the, the rumblings. We don't have the outpouring of volunteers we had, say, with 9-11, because I was in New York City I was working in Queens during 9-11 as well. And everybody was just right out there. What can I do? What can I do? Of course, there was nothing to do. You either walked away or you were dead. But um, in this case, we have, you have a, a group of professionals who have felt so stepped on for so long that now when you say, oh, we really need you, it's a little harder. Now we, you have to appeal to that underneath you know, well, what did I really go into this for and what's it really about? And it's really not about the corporations. It's about the people and it's about what I can do to help in this crisis. And it's harder to get past that for some people. I want to get back to your book. Have yeah. you had any uh, feedback? You know, your name's on the book. So there must be some people that kind of put two and two together. Have you had any feedback from, from readers? Oh, I've had a lot of, um, thank God, a lot of it. I mean, I haven't gotten any negative feedback. Um, I've gotten a lot of positive feedback. People have asked me, when am I writing my next one? Um, I've had even from uh, people in like the Net Galley who have said, you know, made comments, I want to read another book from this author and I've never met them before. So um, yeah, I've had, a, and I love that you compared me to Robin Cook. I mean, how much better can you get? Um, but so um, it's, uh, I've had really good feedback. I really have, and I'm very grateful for that. So what do you think? Is there going to be another book? I'm writing the next book. I'm, so the answer, the answer is yes. The answer is yes. Well, and what's our book, timeline? When do we have to do this uh, show again? Um, I'd like to have it done by the end of the year. Um, oh, that's fast. Sooner, that's fast. Maybe sooner. I mean, I'm sort of into it. Um, it's, I don't have the same urgency with this one. I had something I wanted to say with the last one and then the whole thriller thing and there's a love story in it and, and you know, how was she going to get out of it and who's going to, you know, who's going to die and who's going to, you know, 
succeed and, 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 and make it, you know, and the last book was so much fun, but it was superimposed on this urgent message that I wanted to get across. And I don't have that urgency. This one is just for fun. And um, so, but I, I am sort of, I've been sort of working it through and because I want all of my books, I'm going to say all of my books in a, you know, positive spin um, to have a message, to have something to say other than just, so we, um, one of the people that I was working with on the last book um, said, you know, you did such a great, he really helped me with the thriller part tremendously. And at the end, he said, you did such a great part with the thriller um, that you don't really need all this stuff in the office. And I said, but that's why I wrote the book. I need to, but now I don't need the stuff in the office. I'm not writing about in the office. This book takes place in that, this next one, uh, part in New York City, in Midtown Manhattan. And, um, but it, it has its roots, like the backstory is um, in the Northern Andes in Peru. And, um, and it's, it's, it's going to be a global um, mystery thriller. Uh, so, so, you know, it's, it's it, and, and, and I've, I've done a lot of research on it. Um, and just, um, and, and what I really want to do in this book is show how ridiculous it is that we, um, as human beings, have, have we come against each other uh, over political things, so just stupidity, like members of the same family won't talk to each other. Mm. And um, just, you know, like, like, how does that happen? And what can we do about it? And uh, so I have a little spin for that. And um, hopefully it's very interesting and will, you know, sort of um, keep you guessing a little bit. Well, so yeah, start that. writing that. <laughs> well, Dr. Blaine, I want to thank you for joining us. We're out of time. It's been okay. great to uh, meet you uh, virtually and learn Thank about your you. your uh, writing and your background. And uh, I think uh, your book, Code Blue, is definitely worth a read. And I look forward to uh, the next one. Thanks very much for joining us on I, the Art of I, Medicine. Can I put one little plug in for myself? I'm also- um, Absolutely. I'm a, thanks. I'm a certified coach. Uh, through Fowler International Academy, and I work a lot with medical professionals or other people who are sort of struggling with the whole corporate impersonalness of, you know, of just the world that we have to live in. And I do uh, group sessions and individual sessions, and I even certify people who want to become coaches themselves. And you can find all of that on my website. Yes, is, I should have asked you, what is the, your website? So it's DeborahBlaine.com. D-E-B-R-A, the short way, B-L-A-I-N-E.com. And it's got information about my book, where you can buy it, which is pretty much anywhere. Um, and uh, information is a whole page on coaching, if anyone's interested in that. And especially right now, I mean, a lot of, a lot of my coaching right now has to do with coping with the coronavirus and everything that's done to us. Well, thanks again. And I look forward to talking to you in about a year, if not sooner. Thank you so much, Dr. Wilner. I really, really appreciate it.